The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. Who is there? Special delivery. The Greek type of education is the kind that we in the West have been grown up with. The Greek uh, mindset was one where they, they looked at things from a very clinical point of view and you had very definite divisions between subjects, for example. Most of us went to school and we had English, math, history, science, geography. So we had these very definite divisions between subjects. And when we would look at English, we would see reading, writing, and we would see grammar and composition and spelling and and we want to break it down into the component parts and then study each of the component parts and see how they fit together. Well, we now had a, a fair bit of knowledge stashed away in our head, but that does not necessarily translate into understanding, neither does it necessarily translate into wisdom. Hebrew education is more interested in what you do with all this knowledge that you have gained. What do you do with this knowledge? Do you use it for a valid purpose? And so the Greek would would want to go to school and get educated because he would go to school and he would stuff his head with knowledge and come away and be able to recite all this neat stuff. Whereas the Hebrew would say, to get educated you follow a teacher, you follow the teacher around for a couple of weeks and you'll soon find out what the teacher really believes when you watch the teacher's conduct and listen to the teacher's conversation for a couple of weeks living in close proximity you'll soon learn what they really believe and of course that's the Hebrew education is discipleship you get close to a person and you and you and you learn from them how to live how to think how to act and react in various situations the first step in anything is knowing the truth Knowing the truth about God is what we do in every podcast here on The Truth Barista. The next step is yours and what you do about it. We are The Truth Barista, a production of HighBeamMinistry.com. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your Truth Barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, I got my head screwed on straight. How do you like that? Well, it's about time. I mean, it's been crooked for a long time. I'm just playing with you, of course, because that is what we talked about last week in our discussion about the Bible. You know, get your head screwed on straight. And we talked about Hebraic versus Greek and Roman thinking. And it was so good. I'm just so excited to hear more. Well, you had a great question at the end, and we need to answer that right off the bat. Okay. How did we get from a faith, Christianity, that grew out of Judaism, which was Jewish. You know, Christianity was Jewish in its first century. Mm -hmm. But how did it get to Greek and Roman Western thinking of today? It's very simple to explain that during, after 
well, let's say toward the end of the first century and into the second century, as Christianity, a messianic sect or stream of Judaism, began to spread throughout the Roman Empire, you had more and more pushback against the Jewish element of this sect that was an anti-Semitism. That's one of the things that was affecting it. But number two, you had a lot of Gentiles joining it. So when you rinse out the Jewish influence and you bring in the Gentile influence, you're also rinsing out a Hebraic mindset and bringing in a Gentile mindset that is founded on Greek and Roman philosophy and their worldview. So in order to make, actually to, to understand the Bible, to understand Jesus more genuinely, you have to go back to the first century and understand what is the culture, what is the thinking, what is the language, all of that surrounding Jesus and his teachings. And you have to be able to identify what is being brought into or imposed on the scripture that makes it gentilized are you tracking with me it's like veneer it's like putting paneling on a wall mm -hmm. on a beautiful wall and once you pull down the paneling you see the fresco behind it that the master had painted two thousand years ago is that's all i can that's the best way to describe it well and i appreciate that and i'm going to ask you a controversial question because i wonder one revelation i had a while back when i was reading the church fathers i found that so many of them were anti-semitic i mean they had some real angst against jewish people and brutally i brutally anti-semitic yeah not just kind of brutally yeah well after a while that doesn't that affect theologians and what theologians preach and teach in their seminaries i mean there was a hatred for the jews i mean the jews have a point some of the church for a lot of centuries or for a long time didn't like the jews and and no <laughs> exactly. wonder and no wonder you know we just kind of went our own way and just kicked the jews out the back door Exactly. When you had early church leaders like John Chrysostom, which in Greek his last name means golden mouth because he was such a great preacher, read some of his stuff and it is some of the most vicious, disgusting, anti-Semitic crap that we've ever heard. In fact, because of the anti-Semitism that was planted in the church as it became more Gentilized and anti-Jewish, I mean, not just non-Jewish, but radically anti-Jewish, these seeds kept growing until it reached even the Reformation. And in the Reformation, you had Martin Luther, who tried very hard to reach out to the Jews. He was very, very much wanted to share the Jewish Jesus with the Jews. He and the Reformers of the time knew Hebrew, and so they began to share. Well, when the Jews rejected Luther's offer of Jesus, Luther became virulently anti-Semitic and Eventually, what Luther taught was picked up by Hitler. Hey, it's all in the same German area, right? Hitler picked it up and justified his Holocaust against the Jews in part by what Luther had written in the latter years of his life. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for Jews to welcome Christians when the German guards in the Holocaust in the camps were wearing belt buckles that said, Gott mit uns, which is God with us. Yeah, as they're gassing and shooting Jews by the thousands. So really what's happening in the church is really there's a sea change going on right now. We're beginning to return to our roots. We're identifying where we're wrong, reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus with a Western mindset. 
and seeing him more in context with the Hebraic mindset. As a friend of mine says, we're trying to wash 2,000 years of mud off Jesus' face. Now that's a Hebraic description. (laughs) I'll say, I, I just sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jewish brethren are my older brothers. Correct. They're my elders. They, they they brought us the Messiah. They brought us the scriptures. I mean, they've given us everything. I mean, when yeah. I say us, I mean the church. They've given right. us everything, and yet they get no credit. Well, and that's exactly right. Paul says that too. He says, we owe them a debt of gratitude because why? Through them, God revealed himself. He gave us the scriptures. He gave us the prophecies. And best of all, he gave us the Messiah. Now, though Jewish people don't recognize it, it is fascinating that more and more in our day are turning to Jesus and saying, you know, we're still hesitant about accepting him as Israel's Messiah, but wow, he is out rabbying our rabbis. He had some phenomenal teachings that are dead on uh, the heart of Judaism. So in a sense, as we're discovering Jesus' Jewishness, many in the Jewish community are looking at Jesus and discovering his Jewishness. They're not looking at Jesus as the Peter O'Toole Western Jesus. They're now beginning to embrace him and say, hey, you know, we may not accept him as Messiah, but he's our guy. He's our guy. He is our guy. And you know what I've been discovering, Truth Priest, and we talked about this a few times ago, but I think it's important we bring it up. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. So he came to fulfill Judaism as it was meant to be fulfilled, and, and Western civilization or Western Christianity tries to make it out that he's came to start something brand new. We call it Christianity. That is false thinking. Your opinion. Exactly. Exactly. And the reason they get that is because Western Christianity is so different from its roots. It's as if he created a new religion. He didn't. If you go back to the Hebraic mindset and look at the culture, it was simply Jesus saying, this is how you do it, period. This is Judaism as it should be done. That's why we went through this long Bible study on Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with this. I came to show you how it's done, Matthew 5, 17. And that's exactly. However, when the church shifted to a more Gentile influence, suddenly it's like, no, Jesus said, I did come to do away with that and replace it with this. That's false. You know, I heard a, um, a national radio host who is Orthodox Jewish say the other day that, you know, he was talking about, you know, Christianity and so forth. He said, you know, I, he couldn't, as an Orthodox Jew, accept anything other than the OT, the Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures. That's the full revelation for him on God. And what you're saying is all Jesus is doing is fulfilling that. So it's not like he came and said, okay, I'm going to do something completely different. I wish I could talk with that national talk show host and say, hey, look, you know, Jesus didn't do anything different. He just clarified some of the things your rabbis didn't know. That's and, about it. And, the mis- and here it is. The mistaken impression he has is the same mistaken impression that Gentile Christians have in the West. Very similar because we're misunderstanding Jesus because we don't have the right mindset on there. So let me put it this way. Let's get back into our comparison of Western thinking, Hebraic thinking. Okay. As I said, truth is a matter of opinion and relative to the Western mind. We see this all over today, but in Hebraically thinking, truth is what God says it is. It's objective. Now, where does this apply? 
there are many interpretations to the scripture. But if God clearly says that interpretation is wrong, they're wrong and they're thrown out or should be. An interpretation is not valid if it opposes God's clear revelation. And this, once again, since it's such a hot topic, every June we have Pride Month and they say pride is a good thing. God said pride is not a good thing. It's wrong. And even furthermore, they say same-sex relationships are fine because they're based on love. God says, I am love, and I say they're illegal. (laughs) They're not valid. So I don't care what the culture says. The culture is doing Western thinking, Hebraically thinking. According to the Bible, it's wrong. I have one or two more examples. For example, the prosperity message is completely Western thinking. Yeah. It's completely getting all you can for as little as you can and whatever, right? And the other one is the self-help gospel, the cultural gospel that says, hey, you know, Jesus came to help you get better. Get better what? <laughs> you know, well, yeah. to be a better father, be a better husband. Be a, yeah, okay, fine. But that isn't the gospel. <laughs> right, right. Well, in fact, we'll get into that when we get here in this. I actually have a section on the teaching on my tablet here about that. So hold tight. We'll get there. In Western thinking, we have a tendency to spell out truth for other people. And I'm guilty of this too, right? So that truth that we spell out convicts other people and our truth is imposed on them. In the Hebraic sense, we, it lets us realize truth. We draw our own conclusions and it convicts us. It's centered on us. See, if I have truth and I'm Western thinking, I'm going to throw that truth at you and say you're wrong, which I just did regarding LGBTQ thinking. That was a Western way of doing it. However, what I would do if I was more Hebraic, I would show God's objective truth and say, what do you think? And it would be there to let them draw the conclusion that it's wrong and let them be convicted in their own, by their own selves. And then you embrace that truth and then you are bound to that truth. See, it's a difference between what we impose on people and what God does in a person. There's a difference. In Western thinking, it's very rational and very harmonious, which means you've heard this whole battle against, well, did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? And we Western thinkers, man, we wrestle over that. You know, God did it. No, Pharaoh did it. And we can't, we don't like it because it doesn't line up. In Western thinking, we have to have systematized theology. Everything has to be in a just a single line going straight forward, right? The battle between, as you would say, Reform or Calvinist theology and Arminian theology. Can a person lose their salvation or once saved, always saved? Oh, well, the scriptures say both, but it has to be this. So we'll force some scriptures to make sure they line up with what we believe. And by the way, I'm picking on both sides here. Okay. Okay. In the Hebraic way of thinking, they don't have a problem with paradox. Why? God revealed both things. Hmm. See, he doesn't have a problem with paradox. You do. You're right. You're right. Now, God has an unlimited mind, (laughs) and he knows how all of this fits together. You have a limited mind. Are you putting yourself above God by saying, God, you must line up these things to make it align with my thinking? God's going, no, you align your thinking with me, even if there is a paradox. See, that really is a measure of pride to think that's got to make sense to me or God's not legit. But does that paradox fit into my three point sermon? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I've yeah, got to have three points and a conclusion, right? Yeah. Well, let me boil it down to this. Okay. And I'll just make a one point sermon. Okay. Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Hebraic thinking says yes. Both. In other words. Both. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that's what the answer is. And Western thinking says it has to be one or the other. Well, here's another paradox, Truth Barista. The paradox is that we have a coffee house here, and both of our cups are absolutely empty. So what's the paradox? It's How both. can we possibly study if we don't have coffee? Because, yeah. Anyway, just forget that. Just can yeah, I get, just, get a just couple get, of coffee? All right. That sweet aroma. I'm bold and beautiful. I can hardly wait to taste Early morning Something wonderful Is about to make my day You know, sometimes I think I've heard everything. And then I came across the High Beam Ministry website. I was blown away. I had no idea how much I could learn about God, the Bible, and life issues from the weekly Truth Barista podcast and Frothy Thoughts blog. Yep, there it was. Riveting discussions, incredible Bible studies, and even a few really dumb jokes. And now I don't want to miss one podcast or one blog post drop. So I hit the subscribe button on the webpage. Now when I get a weekly email notice of a new podcast or blog post, I grab a cup of joe and settle down for some scintillating insights. Why don't you do the same? Go to highbeamministry.com. All one word, highbeamministry.com, as in car high beams. Check it out. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn! Okay, wow, that was we were really trying to force that. Well, it, it's it's a, but I lo- I love the idea because we in Western thinking it's got to be A to Z and that's it, right? And right. if you can't have that, then something's amiss. Right. So what we're talking about is the difference between Western thinking and Hebraic thinking and how it impacts us in our view of the Bible and Jesus. And this is really important to understand the Bible so we can do it. This particular area of the class is how understanding or the mind is influenced by this. So speaking of those types of things where we have to spell out the truth for others versus understanding the truth for ourselves. Okay. On one hand, Western thinking is very rational and it has to be harmonized. Hebraically thinking, not necessarily rational or harmonized, especially when it comes to a a human versus God perspective. God really doesn't need your counsel to tell him how to put together his word or his concepts or his thoughts or his truths. He really doesn't. That leads us to the next one. One understanding. We need, as Western thinking, one 
understanding that makes sense to all of us. It's kind of like the Lord of the Rings, one ring to bind them all, you know, to rule them all. In Hebraic thinking, it's like, well, it makes sense to God, but not necessarily to us. So, so what? You know, the joy is trying to figure out how these work together, even if they are paradoxes. On the Western thinking, contradictions are incompatible. They don't work because Remember, this is the biggest thing we hear as Christians. Western thinking, well, there are contradictions in the Bible. That's their biggest argument. Hebraic thinking says, yeah, so what? Contradictions are okay if they accomplish God's purposes. So yeah, right. <laughs> that's theological speak right there. I love that. I wish you'd interpret that for us. But here's the deal. Isn't Proverbs a good example biblically of these concepts? The block theology, why don't you explain that a little bit? Okay, a block logic. It's where in Western thinking, you have a point that you start at, and then everything must proceed in a line to a conclusion, which means once you start, there is only one conclusion you can reach which is the fault, by the way, of the argument between the Calvinists, the Reformed theology, and the Arminians regarding salvation. If I have this starting point of my theology, I have to wind up at this point here. Anything that doesn't fit on that line is discarded. Block logic is, this is what God says about this, but he also says this over here about that. So, since they're both revealed, you push the blocks together and say, Somehow they work. So the, the issue is, does man have a free will or does God override a blocked free will in order to save him? And the rabbis would look at this and say, well, yeah, they both work together. What's your deal? Why are you fighting over this? Hmm. The point is, is God saves people. Yeah, I guess the, at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? Okay, yeah. let's get a little bit more defined here. The rapture. Everybody has a theory on the rapture, and there are some that say, hey, it's got to be this way, and if it isn't this way, then it's no way at all. I mean, to me, that is just that linear thinking, that Western thought, that there can't be a contrast in the way that the rapture is read or understood. Unpack that. Well, and this is, let me put it this way. If you're thinking linearly and you're a preterb rapture person, that's at the other end of the line. So from my starting point, I now have to force every scripture that I read in the Bible into that line to reach my preterb rapture conclusion. When I did my study on this, I said, I want to do this Hebraically. So rather than taking the verses and trying to connect verses together, like stringing, you know, little information pearls on a necklace, to complete the necklace, I said, okay, God, how do you want to do this? And he said, pictures, look at the pictures. So I connected the ideas via the pictures. Okay. And I found an incredible thing to me and people can fight me on this one. That's perfectly okay. It's a post-trip rapture because everything talking about the rapture, Jesus returns has to do with clouds, a trumpet blown, a voice of an archangel, and all these things. When I look at Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse, what does he say? When I come back, it's going to come with all of those elements that Paul talked about, and Jesus takes precedence over Paul, all these things. But he says very clearly, after all these things have happened, he's talking about the tribulation. After these things have happened, these are the pictures of my coming. So people look at Paul and say, oh, Paul's talking about a pre-trib rapture. No, he's not. He's talking about the rapture that Jesus already said is going to happen post-trib. I got there via pictures, 
not by trying to force ideas into a string of pearls. And once again, I'll let you know when we get there. (laughs) When it happens, if you're right, I'll say you're right. And if I'm right, I won't push that. I'll just say, I'm just glad. Yeah. Well, we know he's coming back and that that we all can embrace. That's the point. That's the point. How it comes about, we don't know quite yet. Ideas, yes. Reality, no. Not yet. But you see, that's where the fight comes from is this Western thinking. I have to have all my theological and conceptual ducks in a row. Otherwise, I can't be comfortable with my conclusion Mm -hmm. with my idea so somebody comes along with Hebrew in a sense with a hebraic shotgun and unloads on the ducks and the ducks scatter and now i'm really uncomfortable because oh my theology is out of whack whatever am i going to do and the person with the hebraic thinking goes don't get messed up in all of these tiny little details here god's going to work this out don't miss the major because Mm -hmm. of the minors yes yes Absolutely. I sure appreciate that teaching, uh, Truth Barista, because there are so many Christians that are so almost so bent. They're so rigid that it can't happen any other way, even though the scripture doesn't tell us that. Uh, You know something? You're right. And here I've got another point I want to run by here, which is really cool. Regarding thinking about stuff, we distrust matters that aren't understood in the Bible. However, Hebraically, I trust the matters even though they're not understood why because god revealed them i don't understand how god worked with pharaoh i don't understand how god necessarily saves people okay but i trust it here's another one in western thinking we have to have precise analytical language and we're very very focused on nuance in hebraically you're thinking word pictures broad strokes this is my illustration Western thinking would look at fine details and harmony. We pick apart the orchestra when we listen to it. See, where are the violins in this? Where's the, why is the lead line being carried by the flutes in this? You know, oh, there's the solid brass coming through in this part. Okay. If it's out of tune, oh, that must be corrected. From a Hebraic standpoint, you would say, there's an orchestra in front of me. It's a mishmash of sound that erupts in a, in a grand symphony altogether. I enjoy the whole sound and the blend of the sounds, not just a single instrument. And by the way, if it's out of tune, okay, so the conductor allowed it. If it's out of tune, God allowed it for a purpose. See, it's out of tune to us. It may not be out of tune to him. And here's another example. <laughs> you know I like accordions, right? <laughs> Yeah, my little my yeah. little secret thing. Yeah. I think world uh, accordions are a fantastic world instrument. Did you know that in the Arabic world, they have taken the accordion and the accordion plays when you push in the air mm-hmm. comes out, and when you pull out, the air is pulled in through the reeds. So you actually have two sounds or one sound by pulling and pushing the reeds. Okay, in the Arab world, they have created an accordion where one of the reeds either going out or going in, is tuned a quarter note off. Really? Hmm. And as a result, you have many more notes you can hit. Now, to the Arab ear, which is tuned to this, they're going, oh, yeah, that's just music. To us, uh, you know, to my Westerners, like, that sounds a little out of tune to me. But they have much more access to the fullness of music because they allow this little out of tuning. See? Oh, that's very good, Truth Priest. I love that cultural kind of uh, you know nuance there. Here's a question. 
Okay, yep. God allows evil. Now that's a contrast, and we don't see evil as being anything other than evil, but there's a contrast here between good and evil, and God allows it. Which it's in hard, Western thinking, it's if hard God for us, allows it, let me jump in here on you, because I want to complete your or add to your thought as you're doing this. If God allows it, then he must be for it. Yes. And therefore, he created evil for his use. Therefore, God is evil. See, there's very linear thinking. Very good. Now complete your thought, or unless well, I just I, did. You just did. I just don't understand why we can't accept certain things that God accepts. I have a friend that is so mad at God right now, Truth Barista, because evil is winning every battle. And he's saying, I don't understand God. This doesn't make any sense. Where's the good? Why is God allowing it? Okay. Answer to that, as I would perceive it is, number one, God is good. That's beyond a doubt. God is not evil. That's beyond a doubt. Evil exists. That's beyond a doubt. God, who is good, can use evil for his purposes. That's beyond a doubt. That's how it's revealed in the Bible. And Romans 8, 28, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That even means the evil he allows in their lives. So you have to take the holistic approach and not say, because of evil, God is not good, or because of evil, God is evil. See, that's, that's how theology gets skewed with the wrong thinking the westernized thinking. So let me jump into another example. Let's look at the universe, Western thinking versus Hebraic thinking, as the Bible would present it. Okay. In Western thinking, it's man-centered with God orbiting man. Oh boy, do we see that in the Western church. God exists for me, right? You know, Jesus wants to save you to give you your best life now. That is a man-centered universe. Hebraically, the universe is God-centered. It's his domain, and people orbit him. I exist for him to do his will. In essence, I really, though he loves me and I'm the most precious thing to him as an individual, I still serve him. He doesn't serve me. You know, that's so good. I love that analogy, that picture. We orbit him. And in Western thinking, I think we orbit our ideas and, <laughs> even better, and, yeah. and our opinions and our theology. That's what's important. I can't tell you how many people have said, you got to have perfect theology. And perfect theology is this, 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 and this. And I'm thinking, whoa, you th you're thinking a little bit too high of your thinking. <laughs> To be honest, yeah. gee, I didn't know I, I didn't know you were the arbiter of all that is true and correct in theology. <laughs> yeah, here. that's right. Yeah, well, and that's why we can't be too dogmatic over this stuff. We have to, gee, we have to leave room for God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go on with this whole theme of the universe. Okay, in Western thinking, the universe is to be comprehended, understood, analyzed, and investigated. But in the Hebraic thinking, the universe is just take it as it is. Accept it and marvel at how magnificent it is. You don't have to tear it apart to its individual components and understand every tiny little thing to appreciate the universe. Let's talk time. In a Western view, time is circular. Oh, and this I've got an application for this. Time is circular, which means there's no meaning to time. It's monotonous. It has no purpose, and it's a never-ending cycle. Where do we see this thinking? The Lion King. 
Ooh, okay. The circle of life is just this unending circle of meaningless existence. Oh, yeah. Karma. Mm. That is, even though it comes out of an Eastern religion, it appeals to Western thinking because it's this circle that just goes around and around. Mm. There's no end point. <laughs> now, here's the Hebraic thinking. Hebraic thinking, time is linear. Yes, it goes around in a circle because of the year. And they do things on an annual basis. So there is that agricultural cycle you pick up in scriptures. But it's like a bike wheel on a pathway. Even though it goes around, it's moving in a line toward an end point. See, so even though we're going around the circle, we are moving toward the point where Eden on earth will be restored. God will remake everything. Everything that we're going through now will be wrapped up and we will return to the beginning to move forward in a line into eternity. That's Hebraic thinking. Go cool. Ahead. Oh, is that cool? I, we're going to have to leave it there for this week. Uh, we got the lunch crowd coming in, and, and I just have to stop and marinate on some of this stuff because it's so good. Thanks again, Truth Barista, and uh, helping us to work through this kind of getting our heads straight. And I got a lot more where this came from. This is the Truth Barista, honest conversations that define the truth for everyday life. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening. <laughs>